but in terms of infrastructure, uh, what limits most people is is cooler space. You know, sure, there's a local locker in your town, uh, but you're not just going to go buy a pig and drop it off tomorrow uh, because they're most likely booked out easily till the spring. Welcome to Meats Pad, a platform to share breakthrough knowledge that is accessible to the entire meat industry. Be ready to hear from meat specialists who will talk about numerous topics in meat science, including animal welfare, meat production, meat quality, and so much more. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Meatspad podcast again this week on this episode. My name is Francisco Nahara. I'm your host today. It is a pleasure to have Derek Schroeder. He's a slaughter equipment and meat processing specialist at Ultrasource. Welcome, welcome, Derek. Well, it's a pleasure to have you um, on this episode. Before we start this conversation, please tell us, tell us a little bit about you, about your educational background, so the audience can have a better sense of what you do and, and some of your roles at, at your company. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me, Francisco. Um, so again, Derek Schroeder, I work for Ultrasource based in Kansas City, Missouri. I, I specialize in the, the kill for equipment and the processing equipment lines, grinders, stuffers, smokehouses, injectors, uh, things of that nature. Um, got into the, the meat processing industry, uh, kind of uh, kind of trying to blaze my own trail, I guess. I got my bachelor's degree in animal science from the University of Nebraska and then went on to get a master's degree uh, at the University of Nebraska as well and coached a couple of meat judging teams. And like most master's degree students, you know, you think you're going to go work for Tyson or Cargill or some of the other big guys in R&D. Uh, and, and I just, I, I met up with Noah Hall, who's our, who's now my boss here at Ultrasource at the uh, Reciprocal Meats Conference uh, Career Fair. And I uh, said, just look us up when you're, when you're getting ready to graduate. So, um, you know, interviewed with a, with a couple places and then thought, you know, I should reach out to Noah and see what they got and got hooked up into the, the meat processing equipment sales uh, business and kind of never looked back. And that's been six and a half years ago. So um, learned a lot and uh, it's actually a great deal of fun. So you use your, your meat science background a lot more than you might, might think uh, in the sales game. Yeah, absolutely. And so you mentioned something like oh, when you graduate, and this is for our, our audience that are pursuing a, a bachelor's or just going in grad school at thinking about, okay, maybe small companies to learn more because you just give, you're responsible for a lot of areas and, and then just get exposed to, to a lot of things that is not an area of expertise. In my mind, that's, that's something that I value a lot. Like, uh, you know, a lot of small you know, whether they're lockers or small to mid-sized processors really don't have the pull in a small community or uh, with a small, you know, labor force to be able to go and hire somebody with a master's degree and, and, and somebody that went to graduate school might not think, well, I'm going to go work for a, a small processor, you know, because you think you got a, a graduate degree, so you're worth $100,000. That's really not the case. You know, you're not going to come out and make that. But, uh, you know, it really being in, in an equipment sales position, you know, gives you access to a lot of people that might not have access to meat science knowledge, which is good. You know, you get to interact and almost be their guy that they call for meat science advice, whether it's sausage making, 
know, what is my equipment doing to this product? How can I make this product? That type of stuff. So you really, you're not so much a salesman as you are a consultant. And if guys, you know, if you give good advice, a lot of times they'll come back to you. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. And I mean, I got a pleasure to help with a few of the, the meat science academies that you guys hold at the Ultrasaurs. And um, so that's, that's how I got to meet you maybe a couple years ago. And the reason we're talking today is because we, um, I approached Eric uh, a couple of weeks ago about some of the interest of asking about now we see this boom when it comes to the mobile slaughterhouses, when we see this shift for, from moisture um, uh, shops that may expand their slaughter capacity. We see like now it's booming. A lot of people are just going into into this new concept well it's not a new concept right but it just like i mean it's always been there but now it seems like a lot of people they're gonna go local and they're demanding more more local local meat therefore so we saw a lot of questions from the audience asking what uh so what are the some of the things that we have to take into consideration when if we were used to kill 20 head of cattle 20 hawks a week and then we got more customers coming in and we're expanding we're maybe doing twice as much i think this episode is going to be focused on that and dedicated to talking about about some of these factors that we have to take into consideration so i mean what what's your take on that yeah great question Uh, we see that a lot right now with the the covid deal and and everyone wanting to go direct to the farmer which really puts a burden on the, the small custom or small federal plants uh, in, in all the rural locations across the country. Uh, so we are seeing a big uptick in guys adding rails, putting in new coolers, uh, adding in onto their kill floor. Uh, one of the big things that everyone needs to think about, and, and I'm sure most of them have, have pretty well thought of it, is do I have the number of people to, to actually to get this done, to kill and then to cut if I double my kill? Uh, but in terms of infrastructure, uh, what limits most people is is cooler space. You know, sh- sure, there's a local locker in your town, uh, but you're not just going to go buy a pig and drop it off tomorrow uh, because they're most likely booked out easily till the spring. I talked to a customer today that was out till June, uh, so a year. Um, so things that things people need to consider is is cooler size, uh, rail space. You know, if you want to kill, uh, go from 20 to 40 head a day, you'd better have a, a hot box or the, the, the cooler that the carcasses go into right off of the kill floor uh, when they're hot. That's the term hot box uh, that can hold that 40 head. You know, that really limits your kill. If you can't put 40 in there, you can't kill that many in a day, you know. Uh, and, and we do see some guys that just run one big cooler and they'll push, you know, hot carcasses in with their carcasses that have been hanging for a week or 14 days or whatever. Um, uh, but, you know, there's reasons to not do that in terms of, of product quality, things like that, where if I push hot carcasses in, humidity starts to come off and I, don't, I might not be able to generate enough air. That cooler might not have been designed to handle that, uh, that heat load. And then we start to see like some slimy carcasses or moldy carcasses uh, or stuff like that, which just results in, you know, extra trim coming off in the cut room. Right. So really thing to think about is cooler size, 
uh, and how many days you're going to kill. You know, if you're going to kill every single day, not only do you need a hot box that's going to match that kill, but then you got to have a hanging cooler that's going to be able to accommodate uh, that many kill days, especially if you want to get into that dry age product. Uh, you know, if you want to hang for 21 days and you're going to kill 20 head once a week, well, you've got to have now a hot box that, or a carcass cooler that's going to hold at least 60 beef carcasses, you know, for your three weeks of kill. Um, and that's something to consider as well. Most, most small guys right now that I've talked to, you know, aren't going to do a whole lot of aging uh, because they strictly just can't afford to tie up cooler space for that long right now in particular. So those are yeah. things to think about, you know, in terms of cooler layout and design, you know, the old basics, three feet off the wall, rails three foot apart. Um, we, we like to use uh, the, the calculation or the, the general rule of thumb of two and a half feet is a good ballpark number of linear foot or rail per beef carcass. I've seen it up to three, I've seen it less than two. So I, I'm just gonna call it in the middle and, and use that as a pretty good number. The Niche Meat Processor Assistance Network, or NPAN, is a proud sponsor of the Meats Pad podcast. Hey Derek, we have some listeners that are completing their bachelor's in animal science or meat science or are in grad school like, like me. Would you tell them some advice in terms of work experience or some of the steps to follow? Uh, some advice for you know, young students or young individuals that are in graduate school, uh, looking to find their way in the meat industry, I guess, if you will, uh, think beyond, you know, the big, the big companies, uh, you know, you don't have to go and do R and D or flavor profiling at, at the big companies. There's a lot of, of quality work to be done at not only the small guys, but the mid range processors as well. You know, all the guys that are doing RTE jerky and sticks, uh, you know, most of those are, are growing businesses. They need sharp young minds. Um, so don't be afraid to look into that. And then obviously, uh, from my perspective, uh, getting into equipment sales with a meat processing background provided you've got, you know, some technical abilities, you know, say you worked in the meat lab as an undergrad and then you went to graduate school and you're really strong with, with your meat processing skills. Uh, don't be afraid to, to look into the meat processing equipment sales uh, side of the business because, you know, that it gives you kind of a leg up and people sometimes respond well to it when you can go in there as a, as a salesman, quote unquote, you know, that doesn't know anything uh, and, and make sausage and run equipment and say, hey, this is why this product looks like this compared to this one. This is why we use this ingredient. Uh, so you see a lot of that, uh, and it just customers really appreciate it if you can uh, try to share a little bit of your knowledge, while also you know obviously you learn stuff from guys that have been doing it for thirty years that you know they might not they obviously they don't have a degree but guess what they've been processing meat and uh, can can certainly outperform you on the kill floor and probably in the processing room too. Uh, but they might not know why they're using a certain ingredient or why they push this button on the machine versus uh, the button over there. So, um, you know, look out, look outside the big companies, 
uh, look at the small, small mid-range processors. And honestly, uh, don't be afraid to, to find a small locker. If you have a passion for, for processing, uh, don't be afraid to go for it. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with working with your hands and, and earning your living and working for yourself. So, um, you know, this is uh, the United States of America. You can kind of decide you want to go do something and go do it. Good. Thank you. Thank you a lot for sharing that. I think that that's very, uh, very valuable information and advice to those young graduates that um, uh, they're trying to uh, find or think about what they're going to do in the future. But Good. Now, so kind of going back to what we were talking about, about the expansion in your role, how do you help mid-processors when they come up with those questions? Yeah, actually, I, I was working on one just today where a customer reached out and said, hey, I am looking to do an addition to my kill floor or actually build a new kill floor and use my current kill floor as a hot box because he was one of those guys that just had a kill floor and a 30 by 30 cooler that would hold, I think he said, um, 40 beef. Um, so he sent me just a little hand sketch of what he wanted with dimensions of the cooler and his old kill floor was... 16 by 24 and I kind of dropped that in there using three foot off the walls um, and rails three feet apart so if I take the 24 minus 6 I've got 18 uh, 18 linear feet of rail I could put four rails in there 18 times 4 that's 72 divided by two and a half that's going to hold about 28 to 29 uh, beef carcasses so that that's a plenty big cooler so now we talk a little bit about infrastructure and some of the things that they have to consider. Um, you mentioned very importantly that, um, so workforce and the processing capacity. Tell us a little bit about that. And do you need, you need more people in the processing line? Can you actually do that? And you have to get more people in to, and to help you cut? Yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, if you're going to double your kill, you might not need to necessarily double the amount of people. It might just be adding on a couple of hours. You know, a good two-man crew should be able to put 10 head in the cooler pretty easily before lunchtime. So, you know, I, you know, if you add a couple more guys to that, you're going to be into that ballpark. But in terms of the actual, like, processing room and, and being able to cut those carcasses because it doesn't do you a whole lot of good to be able to hang them if you can't get them cut into bags and into the freezer to the customer. Uh, yeah, you're definitely going to need to either – hire a couple people or get more efficient with your, with your equipment, whether that's going from butcher wrapping to backpacking or from a single chamber to a double or a double to a roll stock or, or from, you know, hand wrapping your grind or doing it off the, of a, off of a mixer grinder, off of a stuffing horn or, and then into a piston stuff. Or if you want to even go, you know, take more labor and add more efficiency to it you just run it off vacuum stuff or where you have portion control so everything's you know one pound two pounds five pounds what have you so yeah you're going to need to either add more people or get more efficient on the equipment cool one of the also some of the concerns from um, for mid processors work if i'm starting to put in more more carcasses into our hot box if i don't do it right what are some of the quality defects or uh, from your experience, what have you encountered when we talk about expanding the, the slaughter capacity? Well, that can be 
you know, the hot box is very important in terms of spacing because you don't want those carcasses crammed in there and touching because that's going to result in, uh, you know, not getting airflow, uh, which is going to help pull moisture off the surface and, and continue to dry or, or cool that uh, carcass, pull that heat and humidity out. So if you've got them touching, you know, I think of it a little bit like uh, hot dogs in the smokehouse. If the hot dogs are touching, where they're touching isn't going to get smoke. If your carcasses are touching, that's where, you know, you're not going to be pulling moisture out of. So you're not going to see as great of a temperature drop. So, um, but, you know, some guys get around that by just adding a big fan in there and, and, and moving a lot more air. So uh, the older places, you know, when you start cramming them in there, uh, those, those cooling units weren't necessarily designed to handle that load. So um, most guys that are putting stuff in right now are going to do – Hey, we're going to figure out how many we can absolutely cram in there. We're going to add a little bit more and then we're going to size the cooling units for that. So they know with a pretty high degree of certainty that they're going to be able to cool carcasses uh, in terms of quality defects that you can see. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of research out there that relates to, you know, temperature drop and, and pH drop and that kind of thing and how rigor sets in and, and that kind of stuff. So, uh, I'm sure Francisco can put you in, put you onto a lot of literature that can, that you can read up for that. I think there's some Texas A&M stuff out there. That's a pretty good white paper. If you want to read about that. Yeah, absolutely. And that uh, brings another good question that maybe we can talk about it in uh, another episode. Then kind of the last question would be, what do you think about the mobile slaughter houses? So we see that they're becoming more popular, so to speak. What was your take on that? Yeah, definitely. I think the mobile slaughter uh, concept, it's been around for a while. Um, and it's, it's pretty international. You know, we're on a lot of Facebook groups where we see, you know, in Australia and in the UK, New Zealand, uh, you know, the mobile slaughter deal is really pretty big there. Um, you know, it's, it's starting to catch on here in the U.S., and I, I see that to continue to grow. You know, there's uh, several companies out there that are turning out modular units uh, that, that are really nice. You know, they range from, from very basic, you know, on the back of your pickup truck is a simple box uh, to something that's, you know, hauled around with a, a semi, and that's a full-on, you know, slaughter floor with a high puller and platforms and the cooler you know, killing 15 to 20 a day at, at a location. Uh, so you get, get pretty high tech there. Uh, but the really nice thing about those is, you know, I think some of those guys can really help you, you know, get that to be USDA certified as opposed to trying to go through all the channels of a brick and mortar. So uh, they can help you kind of navigate some of those waters. But in terms of the actual concept itself, uh, you know, there's there's something to be said for not having to necessarily wait three to four months to get in to get killed. You know, if you've got a local guy in the area that has a, a mobile slaughter unit or really, I mean, a pickup truck with a cooler on the back, uh, he can come out, kill your beef, haul it to a locker of your choosing. Or if he's got a, a processing cooler, he can take it back there. Or there's some guys that have a setup right there on the farm. So, um, yeah, it's a great way to kind of work on your schedule so that way you don't have to, hey, I'm out six months on here. I have an emergency. So, you know, and then you don't have to haul your animals. So you're seeing a little bit of 
the handling stress go down. You know, I've even seen, uh, you know, it's big in the Buffalo kind of business. We'll go out to the range, shoot one, kind of field dress it, and then haul it back in. So um, it's a it's an interesting deal. I've not been in too many of them, uh, but it definitely has its place and it's it's growing for sure. Especially, you know, with with a lot of small to mid-sized facilities, you know, showing their age, it's a lot cheaper to put up a couple modular units that you can just kind of set where you want. They're pretty well, you know, well built and certi USDA certified. So kind of takes a lot of the guesswork and, and time out of it. So you can get into it a lot faster. And, and you mentioned something very important that you said, I think about it. Okay. I'm a, myself, just like as an example, myself, I slaughtered 20 head of cattle a day. Um, and then something happened with a shoot box. Now I, I have to find something. I have the cattle. I have I have them in my facility. So I mean that it just it's just difficult to get it out. I mean it's just easier to to have another option for those uh, animals to get slaughtered. Uh, you mentioned something about USDA certified. So if your facility is USDA inspected and then you have a mobile slaughter coming in. I, I think there'd have to be a, an inspector on site, obviously, but the, the building itself or the, the trailer itself would be, uh, it, it'd have all the features, you know, the stainless sinks, the wall coverings, you know, be washed down, all that kind of stuff. Oh, okay. It would, the, the trailer or, or the modular unit or whatever you would have it would be like very easy to get certified. The mobile slaughters probably primarily custom but thank you thank you derek for uh, accepting the invitation and being on on this episode uh, we appreciate it a lot and, and uh, hopefully we'll see you soon next yeah definitely we'll look forward to being a guest again and uh, catching up with you all right folks with this we finalize this episode thank you a lot for listening be ready to hear from more meat specialists in the following episodes We'll be talking about meat color and packaging. In addition to that, we'll also be talking about some of the factors to consider to optimize meat tenderness in our facilities. Thank you a lot and remember to subscribe at www.meatspat.com. Thank you and stay tuned.